Into the toaster, serve hot, gooey, and fresh like a Pop-Tart. I'm your breakfast concierge, your liaison of this podcast, Comics and Pop-Tart. Mike. I'm here with John Westoff of Part-Time Comics to talk about the new band in town, played with a little bit of doom, drumsticks of doom, ladies and gentlemen. John, how are we doing tonight, man? Hey, I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on to the show. Uh, we all appreciate your time. Um, as is the tradition of uh, the spotlight segment, you are the star of the show, and this is your 30 minutes to an hour to shower us in all the glory and success that you've been able to bathe in these last however long you've been in comics. And obviously music, since it's a big part of the comic itself. So why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to come, come to comics. Yeah, again, thanks for having me. I'm not used to this uh, spotlight thing. I do play drums. Uh, I have for about 25 <laughs> years. Uh, so I'm used to hiding out in the back with the rhythm section. Um, but getting used to the uh, the limelight. But yeah, the latest project, Drumsticks of Doom, you know, came out of a passion of uh, uh, making comics and making music. You know, the artist I'm working with, Dan Doherty, in a similar situation. I, he still plays in bands. I, I gave it up, you know, a few years ago for the family life. But right. uh, yeah, you know, just trying to uh, put our love for, for music into this comic. Uh, I've always been kind of infatuated with music themed comics. So I said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take a crack at, at making my own. Started uh, publishing about 10 years ago with a, a buddy of mine out of California, Bob Gar Ornelas, through, under the uh, moniker of Kingbone Press. But we ended okay. a couple of years ago, and, and I just started up part-time comics as just kind of a, a place to park my own story ideas and, uh, and projects that I'm working on. Cool. Hence the part-time because of the family thing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life's all about balance, man. I, I totally understand that. Yeah, and I uh, I don't mean it in a way that uh, you know people should think that the, the products are inferior, but I just thought it was a little tongue in cheek way to say you know uh, probably uh, went a little too hard the first go around, and this time you know I gotta gotta try to set limits on myself and be realistic and what I can put out you know in any given year. Of course, I say that, and then I'm I'm working on five different projects for this year, so maybe I haven't even listened <laughs> to myself. <laughs> and um, when you uh. When you started your venture about a decade ago, I guess, uh, with uh, this gentleman out of out of California, how did, I mean, how did you get to come to the, the medium itself? I mean, was it music that brought you to comics, or have you always been in, infatuated with the visual medium itself? Well, I definitely, I've been reading comics since I was ten or eleven. I had a wonderful grandmother who who brought me to the shop that was near her work, and uh, you know, I've been hooked ever since I picked up Amazing Spider Man. 332 i can still remember with venom you know leaping at uh spider-man on the cover i uh have been uh infatuated ever since oh, nice, but, nice. Uh, i never really had a desire really to write uh i i used to you know write silly like comedy sketches with my buddies and we used to record videos and stuff like that put them up on youtube and and I never really thought about writing comics, but I, I was part of a, a really cool, uh, you know, I'll, I'll age myself here, a, a message board. Uh, the young people of the world <laughs> won't even know what that is. Uh, that was for an amazing podcast called, like yours uh, called 11 O'Clock Comics. And there was just a lot of like-minded people, you know, people making projects, doing their own art. And I was like, you know, maybe, maybe you know, I have a couple ideas for a story. Let me see. And I just 
posted, hey, is anybody interested in working on a story? You know, here's a, I can throw out a couple of ideas for you. And, and you know, much to Bob's chagrin, you know, 12 years later, we're still working together because he uh, he responded and he, he drew our, our first comic and it wasn't very good. But, you know, Bob's <laughs> art was great and he's an amazing artist. So he, he kind of carried along. And then we did tons of other projects together over the years. And, and again, his home, uh, his uh, self-publishing company for his books was just, you know, he just named it himself. And uh, I just joined up with him and we kind of, you know, we're able to publish a bunch of other projects for, for other friends and people we met along the way. And it, it was a heck of a lot, a heck of a lot of fun. What, uh, what kind of genres did you, did you write in? Well, uh, I mean, did you zero in on one or did you, did you just write a whole bunch of different ones or was it based on things that you liked growing up? A little bit of horror, uh, a lot of action. I, I'm definitely more of a slice of life kind of guy, even though I'll be honest, I didn't read like Love and Rockets and, you know, books like that until I was much older. Um, right. I, I grew up on the superheroes. So, but I, I don't know, for some reason, that's just what spoke to me. I mean, I, I'm a social worker by day. I deal with a lot of, um, you know, real life situations. So I, I just feel like that always kind of comes out in my work. Even Drumsticks of Doom, I think, started as, you know, a young woman struggling uh, what type of band she wanted to be in as I kind of struggled as I got older, could I stay in a band? And then I was like, well, people aren't really going to read that. So how about, you know, we make some backstory where there's werewolves and there's, a, you know, I kind of work backwards <laughs> and was like, you know, how do I get people to actually be interested in this story and how can I create this, this cooler universe? Most of my stories start off as very, very grounded, very uh, soap opera -y, uh, slice of life style. That's just kind of how I, how I am. I don't know, man. Uh, shows like Nashville, that, that was a real popular show. It was built around. Uh, it didn't have werewolves, and that thing took off. So <laughs> I, I think I think you would have been successful going the other way. But, hey, man, rock and roll music and werewolves, who, who can't go wrong there? So tell us tell us a little bit about uh, about the Drumsticks of Doom, like how, kind of how it came together, and a um, little bit about what the story's about without, without giving away, like, the main plot points and stuff. Well, if people do check out the Kickstarter, see the logo, the logo is directly inspired by the band Manowar. I kind of, you know, worked to make it look, give, give that uh, visual style. It, it really was, you know, hanging out with my buddies and we were listening to like, you know, Manowar and they're kind of over the top lyrics. And I was like, you know, what, what would a world look like, you know, where, where, you know, heavy metal really, you know, where these uh, things kind of came to life, all the stuff that you, your, you know, parents and your aunts and uncles and, grandparents told you don't listen to heavy metal you know you'll you know satan will come out and all these things i said <laughs> okay well let, let's how would that look and then you know i realized that was probably a little too close to home to to shows like metalocalypse or um chuck Beebe's uh, uh death metal comic uh so i kind of sat on the idea for a while and it wasn't really till again i kind of got i found this more grounded story uh, of a young woman in this heavy metal world and she just wants to play in in indie music is what you know you would most call it um, and it kind of, how does she fit in, in this world of heavy metal? And then kind of the idea of how did that come to be? Well, Black Sabbath became the, the most famous band in the world instead of the Beatles. And that kind of changed the world. All these things, again, that, you know, your grandparents and aunts and uncles told you would come true has come true. And, you know, the universe in the world has been changed uh, because of that. So it kind of started just <laughs> like a lot of my ideas is kind of a joke, uh, a spinoff of let's make comics that are like Manowar songs. And then I was like, well... 
<laughs> let's actually break it down and make it something that's not just going to be you know a, a short that uh, i lose interest in after you know a couple pages <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's interesting man so it explores the explores the the world of of metal in a time and place in history where it wasn't really as accepted then you got this female protagonist which is actually kind of unique because female in the rock and roll industry um uh what was the lead singer's name of uh cherry bomb uh, was uh, was perpetuous to to the evolution of Rockstar and Rockstar them all together. It kind of started a, a renaissance of like rock Rockstar coming to like the forefront of all music, and that was like during a time when like MTV was forming and hip hop was becoming organized, and and they were they were they, everything was revolutionizing in music as as an industry. It wasn't it wasn't the same anymore after the Beatles. And uh, Elvis Presley and and other notable stars back from the olden days. Yeah, very true. And and you know, I think hopefully some of that comes out. You know, obviously, I do identify as male. Uh, I'm 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 not a woman. I'm not a woman, but right. I, I did feel like that that part of the character did make it a little more real because you know, if anybody knows anything about, well, I mean, the music industry in general, but especially heavy metal. There's a little bit of gatekeeping that goes on, or so it seems, uh, that women oh, are not as feeling as comfortable in. So, you know, I thought that that might add a, a bit of a layer of depth to the story. Uh, you know, having some uh, peers and, and and playing in bands when I was younger with some female musicians, um, just having that background in, in kind of, I thought that might add a little bit more depth to the character. So. Which is, which is awesome, man, because a lot of, um, I mean, this is obviously not your first book. Um, but it's like your first book in a while, right? Or just, just a book under, under part-time comics. Yeah, this is, um, our, this will be our fourth book under part-time comics. So we kind of came back a couple of years ago. Uh, last year we had a a good first year of publishing. So we were able to put out three different books, but uh, yeah, I I picked about the best time in history to restart a, a comic book publishing uh, yeah. company. But. Well, I mean, yeah, look at all the time that people had on their hands and then the government was just like giving people investment money. And, and, um, I mean, I, I jumped on the bandwagon and started, started doing, you know, production and, and comics and visual medium stuff myself, just cause there was like nothing else to do. I mean, um, COVID kind of like struck a chord and it kind of revolutionized the way we do business as far as like on a digital landscape. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it just seemed like a good idea that at that point in time, the last couple of years, if you wanted to do something with your life and you hadn't had a chance to do it, like now was the way to do it. I mean, I can't tell you how many creators I've talked to or what, what inspired you to do this, man? Oh, well, you know, COVID happened. And then, um, we had a couple of years and I just thought now was, was to see the now or never. I was like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. But, um, yeah, see a lot you, of projects will... coming out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, man. Kickstarter is flooded with them. And then the other platforms like Zoop and, uh, and Indiegogo, especially, um, just, pfft, I can't tell you how many Kickstarter. Like I just got super backer status on Kickstarter the other day. In my email, and I posted on, on on my Facebook. I'm like, I wonder what, I wonder what the next level to super backer is like. Ultra super backer. Maybe I just find just keep back and find, find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I just I just backed another one um, that I thought was pretty was pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of independent comics out there, really really rising to like the main mainstream publishing level. So I've I've just been a absorbing in-depth characters coming out of independent comics which 
found me as a career field. I, I never planned on going into podcasting or, or comics. It all just found me like right after college. And so now I spend my time trying to ex- absorb all the knowledge that, that you guys have collectively and try to shed it around uh, to my audience for those aspiring writers out there and creators who want to who want to learn stuff. And you've put yourself in a unique position being on, on the podcast today because you have a, a female protagonist character in a, in a world back when people had the perspective that most of the music industry, like you said, was held by gatekeepers. A lethargic amount of those were male, um, and and I've always I've always been a supporter of males who write female voices because there's always a lot of pushback on on uh, and this is a huge topic in the writing in the writing field, um, not just as a career but in all different mediums that uh, some people have the perspective that females can only write for females because females can only see the female perspective. But you being a social worker, you have that you have that extra sensory empathy. I feel, and you have that experience working with women in the, in the music industry, even if it's not mainstream, but independent, like how, I mean, do you feel like, like you gave the best voice to your female protagonist? Like if someone were to read it, I mean, does it feel, does it, does it sound female enough? I mean, is that something that you thought about when you were writing it? Well, I'll be honest, you know, it's something I, I still, I have to slow myself down and give myself some thought, uh, you know, when I write a scene, um, yeah. you know, am I being genuine here? Uh, I, I think, you know, like you said, I mean, being a social worker, I hope that I can be empathetic, but I can't, you know, I can't adopt anyone else's culture, gender, whatever. Um, so it is still a challenge, <clears throat> but you know, my name is on the front cover, you know, uh, <laughs> people see it. You know, if people aren't comfortable with that, I, I would certainly get it. You know what? You know what? I don't want to read books written from a male's perspective about a woman. I, I would totally understand that. Um, but, you know, I, I think if if I have a connection, really, it's it's that I was raised by women. You know, my mother was essentially a single mother. Um, you know, she remarried. But, you know, she she's always been the matriarch of the family. I have an older sister who I'm very close to. I was very close to my grandmother. I, I, I really feel like, you know, those were the three people who, who really, you know, guided me. Um, same, same. So I, I, I think that that, from that perspective, I feel a little more comfortable, but I still should be, I still should feel a little uncomfortable. I should still be trying, you know, to hear women's input. And, and I hope, you know, that women do read this book um, and, and can give me some feedback, you know, that I can take away from it as well, because, you know, e- even other characters I've written of other, you know, cultural backgrounds, it's, it's a challenge, but I, I try to first go with, you know, what do myself and the creative team think is natural for this character and then kind of build it from there. Uh, I don't try to, you know, say this character has to be this, or this character has to be that. It's just, what is the, what is the, um, what does the story dictate? and uh what what feels right for this character and then try to be genuine and build from there and and uh you know so far i i feel like i'm doing okay but it's still you know something i always have to be trying to to get better at yeah yeah don't feel like you're stepping on eight shows man i just I, I saw a unique opportunity to open the conversation up on that not because it's i i think i think it's a big political issue i think no, i mean i appreciate the conversation you know honestly my yeah. first book that came out <laughs> Child Possession Services is about a, a woman, you know, of uh, Middle Eastern descent or, or, or 
Eastern Indian descent. And yeah. to be honest with you, that was kind of a suggestion by the artist. And I don't feel like we we were genuine enough at first. We kind of started to come to it. And and I I think that that was through conversations like you're having with me right now. You know, yeah. peers of mine said to you, well, you know, John, how do you feel about, you know? And I was like, you know what? I kind of I kind of did it as a gimmick uh, at first. Uh, not not Bob thought because it was about, you know, supernatural powers that that would fit in with, you know, that that cultural background. And then I felt, you know what? Well, let's give some more time and really think about how that would impact, you know, somebody like that. So the story feels a little more real. So, you know, I, I do appreciate it because, you know, oh, we, yes. we, we need that. We need to reflect. If we're not going to write about our own background, we should be putting some time into, uh, you know, making it feel authentic, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was big in authenticity uh, coming up through school. It's it's actually one of the qualities that, that I was pointed out by one of my instructors. She's like, you should go in developmental editing. You have a you have an extra extra eye that most people don't catch when it comes to like authenticity, genuine uh, continuity and and uh, the perspective of characters that, that people don't think of. Um, perfect example was um, my first um, experience in the writing field was I was doing um, I was just helping a friend at first. And it turned into, well, and these investors and we're coming up with store ideas. So like a think tank, so we can publish all this stuff at one time. And I was like, okay. So at first I was helping writing and then, then it was me helping manage another writer. And then it was, Hey, do you want to be a creative director? And I was like, okay. So all of a sudden now we're like a team of five and I'm managing projects as they're coming in and we're talking about continuity and we're talking about where the characters are going and I'm starting to notice a trend and before all this happened I was never really one to believe in hey like I shouldn't care about what other people think when I write it because these are my stories if people don't want to read it then I, I was of the mind where they could just set it down but nowadays then we have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, and we have TikTok. You know, someone can make their feelings heard, and then fifty thousand people come in behind that. And then, I mean, if you if you don't know how bad social media can mess you up in the court of public opinion, you should watch Seth Rogen's movie, The American Pickle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you post about that too. Yeah, it goes from like super superstar success and like one tweet, and he was like doomed after that. But um, I noticed a trend in his female characters because he was a big fan of anime. And that was cool. I was a big fan of anime, too. But he was a big fan of, of anime the way that um, most people view prospective white males being a fan of anything. And that was kind of like degrading, uh, sexually explicit and vulgar. And all his characters had like really, really horrible origin stories. Like it was either touching the confines of like rape or abuse and i was just like man look because we had we had a we had a pitch meeting one day with his, his investors and everybody liked everything but at the same time i'm like as a creator i'm putting my name on something and if this this creates bad traction in any type of media source i might not get any more work professionally or independently otherwise right I mean, and, and those are things that people don't understand when they go into the, the, the industry thinking about like your, your first job, even if it's something that you didn't create and it's utterly vulgar and disingenuous to, you know, gender and race and, and sex and all that, that, um, I mean, it could be bad news for you for a while.
and it's hard to pull your pull your head out of that stuff. And I just told him, I was like, look, I'm not calling, I'm not calling you any names. I just think that you're sending a very negative females who also might be fans of anime about these stories. And I'm like, you know, why not have like change a few of these to like the dad died of like in, in a war or something or like they, they experience loss. Cause I mean, he was going for like the whole Batman thing where like his parents get killed and he's super grungy and dark and I get it. But like that happened to his parents and he pulled his pain from that grieve grievance. Like that was his experience, but it didn't happen to him. Everything that his characters experienced as far as like major female protagonists and like what they were doing in the story happened to them. It didn't happen to anybody else. And I just saw a trend and I was just kind of like, that was when I kind of like opened my eyes and it was kind of the antithesis of me going, okay, so I guess we do got to care a little bit about what people want to read. Cause you're setting that message, right? Sure. And, and, and you absorb any, everything you absorb from a story is the reason why you keep coming back to that story. Like it affects you in some way. Like I can remember, I can remember the first time I read union Jack and a lot of people don't know who union Jack is, man. He's a, he's a very underrated Marvel character. They call him a B list character. Um, he's <laughs> a, affiliated with the, the MI six and the, and the British Avengers, mm-hmm. but he's, um, um, his dad fought, uh, with Captain America in World War II. And um, his his moniker ended up becoming a symbol for the people. And he fought bad guys at nighttime. And he was uh, fighting for, like, labor unions and stuff during the day. And I, I, took, a, I took a lot of that from him because I, I don't live in poverty. But, you know, I'm a middle-class economy here in America like most people are. And so a lot of the things that, that still go on today I disagree with. But there was a lot of depth in that character and where his and trauma come from that that forces him or gives him motivation to to go seek these things out and try to make a difference that touched me and i just didn't see any of that type of motivation or inspiration in the work and the after i just saw a bunch of really cool action a lot of great looking characters and then this horrible message behind their their origin story that i didn't think women of this generation needed of more of because like a social worker i'm sure I'm sure the numbers for women in these situations aren't great. Mm. Um, and, and the emotional trauma is very real. And I didn't think it was cool to make fun of that. And it just had a bunch of continuity issues. And, and, and I said that so I could say this, this is the first time I really had to open my eyes and look and care about the perspectives of others. So I saw an interesting, an interesting um, opportunity to talk about that with somebody else. Because I think, I think it is important now to worry about the the genuineness and the appeal and how you present characters and stories. Not to the point where... Not I think the, you can have you yeah. can have shocking things happen and you can have <clears throat> terrible things happen in stories. But yeah, yeah it dep- well, it depends. What, what kind of reaction or what kind of connection do you want? Do you want shock and awe or do you want, like you said, genuine, authentic yeah. characters? And if something bad happens, you know, your, your, your readers will understand uh, if it makes sense or if it's, uh, you know... Just well, because you're having a poor take. Well, it's also the presentation, though. Like his 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 presentation was in the style of of anime, and it wasn't just like like there's a lot of different animes. Animes fall into the genre of everything. You had like Akira, and then there's like Bebop, which is like space opera. <laughs> um, um, yeah, like uh, a whole bunch of them, man. I'm not going to name them all. It'd be too long of a list, but they fall into the same genres that American stories fall under. 
falling under like the fantasy and the like the Japanese mythology mythos. None of it was like slice of life where it's just like real people in a real town and modern setting. If it was like if it was something like, you know, the Yakuza games where it's like modern day Yakuza, um, his sister gets beat on and kidnapped, like those types of situations, like you're setting up a pretense for your audience to go, okay, so he lives in a really rough neighborhood. This is a really real thing. Like they're attributing these things to, to things in real life that happen. But for that to happen in like a fantasy world that isn't set up to be like a dark and grungy thing, it's more of like a look at this beautiful, awesome mythos that we created, but it has a few dark spots. But the only dark spots that are happening are happening to them in their past. I just I just didn't think the presentation was there. I, yeah, I think it's I think that's I think good it's feedback. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, they, he they, may, they so. may have still <laughs> decide to go with that, but you know, I, I appreciate that you tried to open up the conversation. Yeah, he 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 didn't think so, man. <laughs> yeah, he took it to the board, and I, I ended up getting axed, which I wasn't. I wasn't. It wasn't a hurt feelings thing. I was just kind of like, well, you know, at least my name won't be attached to it. And I had a few other people that that walked away from it as well because he thought I was calling him like a chauvinist. But I was just being like, we need to be really careful here as you walk in a thin, fine line. I don't think that's what's happening in your book. I was just I was just giving an example of like this is this is this is why I started to care about the conversation more. And and I think that's that's important now. I don't think it should dictate how your story goes, because in the end, it's still your story. But um, so the drumsticks of doom, the female protagonist character. Um, what kind of music is she struggling to to go into? Is it is it the same genre of music, or is just like different bands? Well, I definitely think you know she would fit in in in, in our present time. You know, more indie rock. You know, people like. You know, St. Vincent and Angel Olsen are, are a big inspiration. What I think of when I think of her music okay. in the book. So, you know, again, in a world of heavy metal, where heavy metal is actually pop music, you know, on the radio and stuff. Uh, it's really, you know, obviously indie music, even today, you know, there's the struggle. But in this world, it's even harder, you know, just to get your music out there to get people to care. Uh, you know, when everybody's listening to rock and roll and heavy metal. Man, I think the last time I listened to heavy metal, I was, I mean, I still have a, an Iron Maiden CD. Um, I don't know if that was ever considered heavy metal. That's probably about as heavy as I ever got, or Great White Sharks. That might be a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> My, I mean, that's uh, still definitely in the metal category, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was nothing like the Screamo stuff. Um, that stuff, I like some of the beats, but I just could never get into the lyrics because... I couldn't understand the lyrics. <laughs> that was more of like a like you you felt that music. I felt like you you didn't listen to it because uh, I feel like a lot of rock and roll music on on decibels those high. I feel like it's more above of emotion. It's an emotional release and a frequency uh, a frequency thing than it is more of a listen and, and vibe and chill type thing like like R and B and hip hop is. Yeah, I mean, I definitely could understand why people, I mean, I grew up in an era where, you know, some of the best metal albums came out. And But as I've gotten older, too, you know, part of the story is, you know, I've gotten a little bit away from metal. So, you know, it's part of my own feelings of like, am I a bad metalhead? Because I'm listening to like, you know, more indie rock and more, you know, like singer songwriters and stuff. Am I like, you know, should I not tell people? And, you know, obviously, <laughs> as I got older, you know, I've, I've always felt like I've had 
you know, a more eclectic uh, musical taste. Uh, you know, my friends would tease me because I listened to like Elton John and stuff like that. But I, I still was definitely a metalhead. I definitely listened to heavy metal, you know, most of my life. And then again, you know, as I've gotten older, it's like I'm getting away from it. So that is part of the story, too, is kind of aging and your your tastes change. And, you know, maybe those around you aren't as uh, as uh, open to it. And, and, you know, how do you deal with that, you know? Yeah. Um, for all the listeners listening, if we didn't have Elton John, um, there would be a lot of music out there that doesn't exist. So, um, like Rocket Man or I'm Still Standing, Tiny Dancer, these songs like revolutionize parts of the industry. So I feel, I feel like without Elton John, we wouldn't have a lot of things. Kind of like if we never had Elvis Presley. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, that, I think that's kind of, well, hopefully. If if the series goes on long enough, you know, it's part of what I want to explore, you know, everything in balance, right? Like people rag on, you know, pop music and, you know, I, I agree. Some of the stuff is definitely watered down and, and mechanized, especially today. You know, songs are very, you know, formulaic, but uh, there, there's Absolutely. definitely um, there's always some some drops of true inspiration in every generation. Uh, you know, bands like Queen and, and, and Elton John, you know, if you were so stringent about your music. That you only listen to rap or you only listen to to metal, you sure you surely would miss out on a lot um, of amazing yeah. stuff, like you know, life changing musical acts. And and I think to me, music is the greatest thing that humans can give to this planet. So I don't think people anybody should restrict themselves in any way uh, for any form. So again, that's again part of the story is using heavy metal as that uh, that kind of uh, you know antagonist for for you know, other musics uh, being successful or being, you know, well-received, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I mean, how many movies have you heard with, like, the the We Will Rock You? I mean, the the, the song at the end or, or the, of the beginning of a film or when something's really, really, like, going down, like in one of those, one of those uh, American Pie movies or something. I think I can name, I can think of a dozen. I can't name a dozen because it's just too many movies and I don't have my head on straight today. <laughs> so I'm going on about 16 hours with no sleep. But um, I mean, how many, how many times have you heard uh, we are champions? I mean, <laughs> those, those, yeah. those, those songs, I mean, songs are the, the soundtrack of your life. life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So like, uh, I mean, have you given up on the music thing too, or are you just doing right right now? I mean, how's that going? Yeah, I mean, my last semi-serious band was probably, you know, five or seven years ago. Um, yeah, I think that that ship has sailed, but I'm definitely enjoying, you know, my I set up my drum set a couple of years ago so the kids could play around with it and kind of showing them stuff. And, you know, they're getting, I, I, I never knew how to read music or anything, but they're, you know, starting piano lessons and, you know, we have the guitar around. So so kind of being their backup band now is, is kind of just as fun to me, you know, the next phase. Yeah. Um as they kind of get into it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, my days of, of, you know, trying to be on that grind are, are definitely over. Uh, I never really got, you know, any 15 minutes of fame or anything, but you know, I, I still really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, some of the best <laughs> times I had playing shows and, and writing music with friends and, and practicing and all that. It was definitely a huge part of my life from the time I was like 15 till I was, you know, about 30, 35. I, I think, I think even though, when we strive to do something that we aspire to really, really want to do with our lives, it's never really a failure. Even if you never get to where you really want to go, 
it got you to somewhere that you didn't expect maybe. And none of those lessons or none of those experiences ever get wasted, right? You just roll that experience over into the next facet of your life. And you yeah, pass I on. do feel like that, that, that is part of, you, you know, I think that's at least I, I'm thinking that's part of why I've been quote unquote successful in, in comics is, is I think you understand the collaboration process when you're in a band and, and like you said, when you're just a creative person and, and your goal is not just I'm creating for myself, um, you, you need each of the parts to work together. So I, I do feel like I've been able to carry that over. Um, you know, it's helped me. You know, I know one of the first projects I put out was a big anthology for that 11 o'clock comics group I mentioned. And a lot of people are saying they were having a hard time getting it together. They would start one and it would never finish and it was just like okay you know i've seen projects through i've i've helped coordinate you know recording sessions and, and albums and so i just kind of took the lead i had no experience i didn't know how to use photoshop but i said you know damn it i'm gonna we're gonna have a dozen or so creators put this together and we, we ended up putting out a 140 page anthology and you know there were some errors in the printing and other things that mistakes i made but you know i i wanted to see it through and and you know, I did three more volumes or two more volumes of that and three volumes of an anthology called Banthology. Same idea. You know, people have trouble, I think, coordinating projects like that. And I, I think, you know, my background in music, uh, you know, I feel like it, it helped me, uh, you know, take a project and see it through to the end. And, 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 and I enjoy that kind of stuff. Which is which is like the, the biggest struggle for for a new creator. Um, is is managing all the different facets of what it takes to go into a comic. Like there's the art, there's the collaboration process, there's giving notes, there's getting new pages back, there's setting up dates and scheduling times and, and hitting deadlines for things to happen. It, it it takes a village and sometimes it really just takes one person to see the the vision clearly. And a lot a lot of people fall on that front. How um I mean I know you said um, being in a band and from like the time you're like 15, um, all the way up until, I mean, you stopped doing it. Um, and it gave you that experience to see that insight. What, uh, what thing is, is that what you feel like gives you the edge or is there, I mean, is there something, is there something that you see, you feel that people overlook and, or is it like maybe the mental fortitude that, that you can like pull yourself through all the, the troubleshooting that, that other people just can't handle? Yeah, I mean, if I, if I think about, you know, some of, you know, the peers I've met along the way in the last, you know, 10 or 12 years that, you know, stopped creating or, or you know, only did one project or, or so and then never really saw it through or, you know, set to make the series that was like 12 issues and only put out one or two. Yeah, I think I think that probably is the difference that I'm just someone with experience with seeing projects through. Um, and again, I think it's it's about what your focus is, if my only focus is for my success and my, you know, wealth and my fame or whatever, um, you know, that, I, I don't know, maybe that drive works for other people, but for me, it's like, okay, I have other people involved in this project. I don't want to let them down. I, you know, I want to get to the end, the finish line and, and, you know, celebrate with them and get excited. Um, I've always just enjoyed that. I, that's what I enjoyed about being in bands. The only reason I started playing drums was, uh, we didn't have a drummer, you know, I played bass at the time and, you know, my brother had a drum set and they said, okay, you want to, you know, you want to play drums? Okay. And then I played drums for, you know, 20 something years. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm never someone who would like, you know, set out, you know, to be a drummer from when he was five years old or anything. Uh, yeah, I was just, just the one to take the job. So I kind of feel like that now, you know what, 
if something needs to be published or something, you know, you need something lettered, you know, I'm going to try my best learn and, and, and get it out there. Cause I, I take pride in, in helping people and, and having, you know, these objects that we create together, uh, you know, right. that we can look back on. It's just something uh, I've always enjoyed. That's, that's super cool. That's, that's the, that's the, um, that's, that's the work that you do coming out in, in other facets of your, of your creative life being a so not easy, man. I've, I was, I was involved in the system a few times, um, throughout my childhood, um, didn't have the, the best of, of childhoods growing up, um, due to the current state of like bad parental decisions that, you know, kids just don't have any say so in. Um, so I've met some, I've met some people and, and I've seen the process and it's, it's hard to deal with. I find it fascinating, man. And kind of inspiring that you still have creative energy at the end of the day for some of the heart pulling heart heart string pulling that goes on in some of those situations that, that you may or may not have to deal with on any given day when it comes to like checking up on people or. Sure. It's uh, not uh, depending on what you're doing. It's uh, not easy. Yeah. Um, especially the beginning of my career was. Um, inpatient psychiatric care, uh, you know, with kids. Mm, so yeah. kids who were in real crisis. And that was a real challenge. Uh, but part of it was it, it, you know, the creative outlet gave you an escape. It gave you something to look forward to. And, and it, you know, so part of that. But yeah, as I've gotten older, it's been, it's, it has been harder. You know, it's, it, the job is not easy. The work is not easy, but I'm in a good space with where I work now. And that's part of what a couple of years ago when I sat down, I was like, you know what? Work is going well. You know, we're doing okay financially. You know, I I had dropped out of Kingbone Press a couple of years before, and I said, you know what, I'm getting old. You know, the <laughs> Grim Reaper's coming for me. You know what? Let's give it one last push and see see how it goes. So, so definitely, but you're definitely right. Having a better work life balance has helped me have the energy, and I work in a, in a field now where you know it does help uh, help with that. So, but and, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people's work, though. You know, we don't have the time, the energy for for creative yeah. endeavors. That is a challenge. Yeah, it is. And, and I, and then, and I know that it takes, it takes balance to, to accomplish some of these things. What are, what's the, what's one thing that you can, you can, you can my audience as far as like advice goes to, to keeping that energy up as far as like motivation, like for people who really want to, to get into comics or they want to make a movie or they want to learn how to play the drums. Like, and they go to work 40 hours a week and grind in the machine like everybody else does, pay taxes and all that. They may or may not have kids and, and have to play with them. And baths and bedtime by 930 is just wiped out. Like, what, what, uh, how, how do you make it through, man? How, how do you find the time and energy on top of all the family stuff and work stuff? Well, just to... like I said, that you know, the name of the company, it, it is a little bit tongue in cheek, but it is about, you know, setting realistic expectations for yourself you know as, as a social worker i would never tell a client um don't shoot for your goals don't you know uh strive for you know your dreams I, I would never say that but i would say you know what let's set some realistic goals let's um you know what my my goal if my goal is to write the amazing spider-man i've said this before it's probably not going to happen in my life but if my goal is to write comics then i'm doing that right Right. Um, so I, I think when you set realistic and attainable goals, it does keep you going. So I would encourage people to do that. It, if your goal is to write a hundred issues, like a hundred bullets, again, it's probably not going to happen for most of us, but if your goal is to write a one shot crime comic, 
and you really like crime comics, you can do that. And in comics, it's very rewarding because it is one of the only mediums where, you know, if, if, you know, you, you work hard enough, you can get your book into a couple of shops next to the amazing Spider-Man, you know, that you were striving, you know, I could write the amazing drumsticks of doom and get it on the shelf next to, it may not be in every comic shop across the country, but it could be in a few. And, you know, that's what's really cool about comics. There is a space for a lot of us to create. Um, but again, it is about being realistic, especially, you know, where you're at in life. You mentioned a lot of the things, you know what, if I have, you know, sick aging parents or I have kids or, you know, I have, you know, a job that is very demanding, my output is probably going to be less. So, you know what, don't rag on yourself for not writing 10 pages today, like Stephen King say, I sat down and I wrote one paragraph. You know what? I put the kids to bed. I wrote on my phone. Um, you know, I edited something, you, you know, put those realistic goals will keep you going. But if, if you say every week, I, I, I have to write, you know, the great American novel by the end of November, you know, again, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And that makes you not even want to take on the task. So small attainable tasks, uh, and they'll build into bigger things. And then, you know, in 10 years time, you know, I have, I have a library of books that I can look back at and, and, and be proud of. And, and, uh, you know, in this new endeavor, again, I did joke that I've kind of taken on too much, but uh, a lot of these projects have been in the works for a couple of years now. They've been working behind the scenes and now a lot of them are coming to life. So they're at different stages. So even though for some people they're like, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're writing so much. Well, I have kind of paced myself and done these in very small chunks over time. So now they're starting to come to life. So, so that's kind of the, where I'm at again. You know, my friends tease me that I'm always, they, they think, oh, do you have some sort of terminal illness? Cause you're always talking like, you know, things are ending, but it's like, no, I, I, I understand. I probably only got a good, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of, of creation, you know, that, that window. Um, and, and I want to just do it on my own terms and, and do it at a pace that, that I find enjoyable instead of, you know, the years are definitely gone of staying up till 3 a.m. And, and lettering a comic so I can get it to print on Monday and, you know, trying oh, yeah. to uh, really just jam out so much uh, and, and do so much for so many people. Uh, I used to, you know, help a lot of people with projects and try to put out other people's books. And I still enjoy that. I may return to it. But, you know, for now, it was time to be a little more selfish and kind of focus on, you know, just my individual projects. Absolutely. Especially when you feel like you, you have a story that needs to be told. It's it's uh it's it's hard, man. Like um, I edit a lot of stuff for for individuals and, and I have a lot of stories that I want to get out and, you know, every day is like a choice. Like, do I work on other people's stuff or do I make progress on my own? And uh, there's days of the week where I just don't, I don't do anything because I need that. Like you, you do need a day to rest. Cause it's, even though as fun as, as fun as the stuff is, it, it, it does get quite stressful. Like nobody really knows how much stress and, and hard work and collaboration goes into what they go in the shelf and buy on the comic shop every week. Like, absolutely. It, it, because they see they see like art from Spider-Man and they're just like, oh, this is amazing. Like, you don't know how many arguments and fights and tears and like <laughs> 3 a.m.s that 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 artist stayed up and talked to an editor with and a writer sure. to get every every panel on that on that page for 28 pages or 22 pages or however long it is um, to, to get it completed. And, and it's a, it, it could be a rigorous task. It really can. Yeah. It's it is a lot of fun though, but you're right. Yeah, if you if you if you don't uh 
you're not realistic about it. You can definitely burn out pretty quick. Yeah, that's 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 why you said you, you got projects in the works that you've been working on slowly, and and they're kind of all releasing in in kind of their own little phases. And uh, Drumsticks Doom didn't it fund and like it funded not soon after you guys launched, right? Because I mean, you I mean, you guys are overfunded right now with hundred almost one hundred and seventy backers. Yeah, we're doing pretty well. One hundred sixty nine backers. Um, it, it funded in six days. So, you know, a good, nice. good pace. We got most of the funding in the first two days and then kind of chipped away at it since. So yeah, we're That's pretty awesome. excited. Um, you know, not, not to be overly negative, but, um, you know, for those of us who, who produce comics, we understand there's the goal and then there's the goal, right? So right. we always set the goal lower. So this is not me, you know, <laughs> not being ungrateful of all the wonderful backers, but there is a bigger goal that we'd like to get to, which would expand the series. You know, again, I've written the story to it. I, I feel like it'll be a satisfying one shot in this universe that could expand later. But if we get to a certain goal, then Dan and I definitely can, um, you know, start to put this out at a better, uh, at a more regular pace. Uh, and I'm hoping we can get to that uh, $6,000. Um, hoping we can get okay. some more backers interested. Uh, you know, Dan is a working professional artist. He's not a part-time comics, <laughs> part-time person like me. So, you know, Dan needs to uh, keep his, his kids fed and his uh, roof over his head. So, you know, we're happy to pay him his page rate um, and be a co-creator on the project. But, um, you know, that does take some finance uh, on the back end. And then printing, you know how that is. Oh, Everything's absolutely. going up these days. So even to do a black and white comic is is going up, up and up. So we got some great and cover that- artists, you know, and Kaylin Smith and Maria Wolf, too. So, again, you know, you're talking about working professionals, you know, that, that if you want them to work on your project, you know, they're going to you know they, they're not cutting cutting us any slack and we don't want them to they deserve their their industry rates but uh yeah i'm hoping uh people get excited about this project i mean again what we have now is enough to put out a great story and i'm very happy with what dan and i have so far but hopefully we can get to the even bigger story that is within there and you're really not that far away man it's like almost fifteen hundred dollars um about about seventeen seventeen thirty two yeah, yeah so most campaigns I've ran and, and, and peers, you get your bulk, you know, in the first couple of days, and then sometimes you get the, the burst at the end. So that is what I'm hoping for. But then the middle days are kind of, you know, a few dollars here and there, a couple backers each day. Um, yeah. So we'll see if, if we can knock out some of those larger tiers. We, we, we should be able to get there. I, I, you know, any project you go into, there's always those nerves, right? Is is this where people figure out I'm a fraud and they, they tell me that, you know, this project is terrible, but... <laughs> So far, I've, I've had decent success. Hey, man, you, you're putting yourself out there. Um, you put yourself out there before you're doing it again. You got it out there. It's done. It's ready to go. That's, I mean, you've hit all these things that most people who 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 say comments and leave comments and throw comments out there like that have never done this in their entire life. So I, I, I tell haters, <laughs> you just motivate me to succeed more. Um, I, I don't, I don't mind those guys getting on threads and, and just blasting off the mouth. Cause not only are they giving you free advertisements, <laughs> they're, 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 they're inviting others to the public of court opinion to chime in on it. And some of them might have, um, other views, uh, and, and might feel more biased in the liking of it and might end up actually backing it. So go freedom of speech on that front. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, but um, what's um, uh, what's been the the most difficult process of comics or creating this or any other book that you've ever experienced or, or been a part of publishing? Um, for the audience out there, I try to leave them, you know, some nuts and bolts and stuff. Uh, what's the what's the most uh, uh, difficult thing that you've experienced in trying? You know, I think for me, the most difficult part is um, trying to find trying to find what the story, what's a realistic story for each story. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, like my first project I work on worked on with Bob called Apocalypse Man. I had this. It, it, it really was a long running story that we never got to see to the end because I was kind of writing it, you know, chunk by chunk and not really plotting it out well enough. And that was a very early lesson that I learned. And I still feel like I'm a kind of by the seat of your pants writer. I like to leave a lot of room in the story to expand naturally, especially after I see the art and, you know, talk to the artists and get to know the characters, but I'm trying to get better at a lot of these stories. will never see, you know, like I said, you know, hundred issue runs like a hundred bullets. So, so you want to give people a satisfying chunk of story each time you put something out. So that's really been a difficult part for me is, is trying to take the bigger stories and break them down into small, satisfying chunks, or just write that short story and not add the bigger parts that, that never get tied up. Um, my longest running series was a series called hellbillies, which was about 15 issues uh, with my buddy, Brian Bowles. And, we had a better definitive end, but we left a lot of room in between where he could, you know, throw out ideas and I could too. But, it, you know, we worked on that for four or five years. Uh, you know, again, as independent creators with full-time jobs, it, it took us a long time and I'm very satisfied with where it came out. But I think if I had to do it again, I would have been a little tighter with the story so that we could have told, you know, a satisfying five or six issue story. And then, um, you know, had time to work on other projects and things like that. Um, if I could go back. So I think it's, it's really hard when you're not a full-time writer to say, can I tell this story in 20 pages rather than, you know, six issues? And would that be better for the people, you know, coming up at the comic convention that just, you know, want a single issue to walk away with? Uh, some stories won't, won't dictate that. Like our story last year, Depowered, I really feel like is a bigger story. So we're doing, you know, a three issue series to start that. And, and I hope that that can find success, but I am trying to keep my stories more realistic, you know, in case, you know, they don't, they don't ever see their end. I want people to walk away with, you know, satisfying stories. So, so good plot technique then. Yeah. Which again, is a, not a natural writer is, is, it is hard. <laughs> Even after doing this for so many years, um, I feel like right. I'm pretty good. I can write a 10 or 12 page short and people will go, Oh, that was an interesting short. But when I, I get a longer <laughs> story, then the threads start to get away and I want to add, you know, 20 characters and all this stuff. And, and, and that's always been a, a challenge for me. <laughs> that that act too, man. It's such a wide football field to run in a story that uh, even even being a, a a professionally groomed writer um, with all this education and access to formulas and and all these great examples of writing that have been broken down by professionals who never got the notoriety for breaking down these great examples. It's still like traversing act two, man, where you have like, you have the setup, you have the refusal, you have the crossing the line, and then you're on the journey. And then it's like, you have a goal, but you have all these opportunities to veer off to the left and the right. And then you have like all these great ideas and they start getting crammed in there. And then 
And then after that, some people just write themselves into a hole. <laughs> yeah. So, so deep that like the, like the end never comes, but, um, it, and, and to me, to me coming up with an end is the hardest because I like to serial, right? So none of my stuff really ever have finite endings. And some of that's why I have, I have problems writing short stories because I, I always leave it up. And when I get people to beta read it, they're always like, well, what happens next? I'm like, it's a short story. Like, I leave that up to your imagination. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm giving you the Stephen King gift of think about it yourself. Because <laughs> yeah, so those I, are the I, stories I have. Hard. I, I feel like I, I can do beginning and end. And then I struggle for, for I mean, even this story I had for years before I finally, you know, had my in where, where the story will go. So I think I have like three arcs for Lana and her story here uh, that I think would be good. But uh, yeah, like you said, there's, there's other paths you can go on once you get into that, uh, which is fun, but at the same time, it, it, it is still a challenge of mine. Again, I don't have any background in writing again, social work. I know I could write you a, you know, a psychology paper in APA format, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the, the actual creative writing is not my background. <laughs> I can break that down into a comic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, adaptation was one of the most fascinating things that I, I think I picked up in, in college, aside from the weird and traversal world of, of, of trans media, which was something that was introduced to me. And it was a whole new way of storytelling and writing. It's like gamified story, but it's in the public forum. So you can combine all these different social media elements with all these like graphics and media. And it was, it was wild, but, um, but yeah, man, I, I can, I can, I can take things apart and piece it out. So I could take your paper and turn it into a visual medium. It'd just probably be like a long narrative of whatever you were informing the public <laughs> in your paper. <laughs> so lots of narrative captions, but it would be visually interesting. <laughs> nice. Yeah, maybe I should oh. slow down and actually uh, take some creative writing classes. <laughs> man, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe um, the the free resources out there. Um, for those of you who don't know. Um, I think it's called Wattpad. Wattpad is an interesting platform that just gained traction a few years ago, and they've they've actually I think they announced a public setting. So they're a online online um, community where you get to like create your profile and you upload short stories and you creative people and you can you know follow. Now you monetize stories. Um, and they have contests that you can enter and sometimes they'll get you publication and representation. And now they have like a resources section where, you know, people that work with the company and have contributed and have, have had mild and major success, write articles and, and do videos and link you to threads and stuff. It's, it's pretty amazing, man. It, it makes the $94,000 that I spent in college for film <laughs> and media. Yeah. For film and media writing look pretty, pretty lazy. When I could have just been on the web doing the nerdy thing and, and typing in URLs and pounding the keyboard until I found what I needed to find. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like Udemy.com and for, for ISA Connect, you pay like $99 for a whole year and then you have access to all these professionals that don't use Indeed, which is where I found my first internship with a media company out of L.A. Um, so... I mean, they're the resources out there, man. If you ever want something, I think I got a, a document with some of the, the resources I saved. I, I could send you if I could find it. Nice. That's great. Yeah. And I, yeah. I am fortunate. I have 
you know, some great peers and, you know, the comics community is a small community and, and, you know, so many people are willing to, you know, share their trade secrets and and all that stuff. Uh, again, I think that's part of what makes comics unique too, is that you, you're, you're only a few steps away from the Scott Snyder's and the, you know, you can always meet someone who's friends of, you know, someone who's <laughs> has a lot of success and they can kind of tell you, Hey, Oh, you know, this is what he does. And uh, it, it is a very interesting community to be a part of. Oh man, the community just shrinks more and more on the daily. Um, as I'm as I meet new people, I find out that this person is this person, that person is this person, and now now my presence in the comics community is now becoming like anxiety real and written to me. This is like because as I put my name out there, I'm like, if I make a misstep, all these other people are gonna know. <laughs> Not saying that I would, but it just. For me, like dealing with coming coming out into putting my first book out there, I'm kind of nervous about it. I think everybody feels those like first time jitters. Yeah, and, and the twelfth uh, time and the thirteenth time, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> think I'll ever get over this, to be completely honest. Because you want people to like your stuff, but at the same time, you really just want to put your message out there. Um, and I dove straight into alternative history in the Middle East, which is. Which is no easy task, especially for an Italian writer like myself, who has wow. you know, no, yeah, no confines of what it's like to be in the Middle East. Um, but I do a lot of reading, so I'm hoping that justifies the means. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you luck. So, I look forward to hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. No, it's it's really cool. Like samurais, and it's it's heavily influenced with with a lot of that culture. But the politics over there, um, history and abode. And abroad, and as modern and ancient politics was really, really weird. It's really, really dynamic and, and unique. Um, they they had more intricate political systems than we did before. You know, we got the Emancipation Proclamation and the, the Constitution and all that here in America. Like, I feel like their politics was like super advanced and petty. Oh but, yeah, because they had you know uh, oh. thousands of years ahead of us, right? Yeah, for for a time until we created the Gatling gun. <laughs> yeah, we just bought the Chinese powder, you know, and then we started making our own. And then from there it was we built the navy. Of course, you know everybody can do the reading to find out the rest. But um, yeah, man, throw your social media out there and um and and thanks for for being on the show, man. I, I can't oh, I wait to see it. I enjoyed the conversation again. You know, people tease me. I. I'm always sounding like I'm on my deathbed, but you know, again, I don't have any delusions of grandeur that I'm going to, you know, write Spider-Man <laughs> next week or make a million dollars or, or sell a movie deal. So these are the, the things that I enjoy, you know, conversations with people, uh, you know, talking about story, talking about projects, uh, meeting new people like yourself. I, I, I can't even remember to be honest with you who, um, who retweeted or posted that they were going to be on your show. I uh, caught it somewhere on Twitter. So, you know, again, those, those little uh, happenstance interactions are always enjoyable to me. So I appreciate it. We're um, we're part-time comics on pretty much everything comics with an X. Um, uh, on Instagram, for some reason, it's part underscore time underscore comics. But if you just search it on Google, we come up everywhere. I'm anti underscore drummer on Twitter. If you want to follow my personal account where I mostly talk about Magic the Gathering, um, <laughs> you know, feel free to do that. <laughs> I jumped off the TCG wagon a long time ago, man. This state they keep coming up with new rules, more ways to play, and oh they used God. to be fun. But I now was out for years, like... and I'm back in huge, and now my kids are playing. I, I I love it though. I do love Magic. Yeah, it was just like <laughs> it was just like it was just like man, just release like a 900 page manual 
that I can carry around like a mage in a fantasy story. It's coming soon because they're just getting even more complicated. <laughs> oh, this, that's why I dropped out of Yu-Gi-Oh, man. It used to be so fun, and they created all these different types of fusion techniques. And I was just like, uh, I'm getting too old for this. I got kids that want things, and I can't play this no more. <laughs> and the cards are getting more expensive. Yeah, that's the real thing. My kids want to play, and I have to explain <laughs> to them, no, that's Daddy's $50 card. You can't touch that. <laughs> this piece of cardboard is worth you know more than you know all the clothes you're wearing. But ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't it ridiculous, though? Because you could buy like a old for that price, and, and it'd be more valuable than that card. Or at least do more than that card could. Uh, and in most of those cards you can't even use anymore because they've been phased out by new rules and competitions for tournaments and stuff. So it's right. just like, but I still love it. And there's online versions now. Oh, it's so much. It's so much. But it's so great. But yes, if you want to talk about Magic Gathering? I'm always open for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. We'll have to get together sometime. And I and I don't mind doing this, man. I actually love doing this. Not just meeting the people, but like you said, the comics, the comics community, is especially in the independent world, and even some of the mainstream creators are coming over to independent comics just for the love of freedom, not having to be stuck under the publisher's thumb and and the editor's premise and the the company brand. Um, we're all like supportive of each other uh, in and out. Uh, whether it be like helping you find services and, and artists or just like this, helping you promote comics and telling people who you're all about, introducing you into the populace, people who want to learn more about more than just like superheroes and, and, and the action comics that, that used to be really cool back in the day. So absolutely. But, I, uh, I always tell people if you're complaining about the comics you're reading, you're not trying hard enough because we are in the golden age of comics every week, something absolutely amazing comes out you just have to find it uh oh, the internet absolutely. you can't find it there's so many amazing things coming out every week absolutely and they say <laughs> they say that it's like oh it oversaturates the market i'm like yeah man but like even though some stories don't deserve to be told everybody deserves to tell their story and if at least one person jumps on that bandwagon and their story's been heard that person's dream just came true and and for a lot of it, sometimes independent comics actually out outdoes a lot of a lot of the mainstream stuff. I mean, I'm a machinica like um, that. That's a huge thing. I'm, I was never really a, a steampunk fan until I read that book, and it's because the character was so not so similar, but it was so akin to my discovery of Alita. And this was like looking outside of Marvel and DC and Dynamite and Boom. And then uh, meeting people like Travis with Scout and Brian and them last year at Pensacon kind of opened my eyes to the world of independent comics. And I was just like, wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of thriving blood out here that I haven't really tasted yet. So to get out my vampire things and sink my teeth into some <laughs> of these pages. And then after that, it was just like, oh, I'm hooked on it now. And like, give me all your comic books. Like it was it was just I've been fan frenzy like ever since, man. I've just been I've just been connected in the world of comics. And now I work for a marketing company that markets comics for independent comics. So it's it's been it's been a thrilling ride. It's been a thrilling ride. And and it's gonna it's gonna keep on going, man. It's a roller coaster that never ends, to be completely honest. Cause it's a it's an industry that's never gonna die. <laughs> I mean, it will never die. It will always change and adapt. But uh, those of us who want to do it will still be here. Yep. <laughs> and uh, when the paper falls, we'll all get stone tablets because we all know the first <laughs> comic was a damn cave painting painted by some of the world's <laughs> smartest Neanderthals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Excellent. man. 
So uh, that's John Westoff, everybody. My name is Limitless Mike, the, the host of Comics and Pop-Tarts podcast channel. Go check out Drumsticks of Doom on Kickstarter now and um, wherever they're available after that. Let's let's hit that $6,000 mark, guys. Thank you, John, for being on the show, man. Um, you, you're more than welcome to come back whenever you want to um, or invite me on and we can talk about whatever you want to after that. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. Good night, everybody. Good night, kids. Eat your Pop-Tarts. Yay!